Hey, hey, we're back. We're back with more Live from the Heartland. We're here at WLUW 88.7 Chicago Sound Alliance. WLUW.org anywhere in the world. And if you want to hear earlier editions of the Live from the Heartland show, two places, livefromtheheartland.com and youtube.com slash heartlandmedia. Uh, when I was a young guy, I went to uh, University of California at Berkeley. Uh, I walked on the campus for graduate school, and there was a police car surrounded by students and the guy in the car was Jack Weinberg, and uh, he was uh, instrumental in changing my life. He ended up coming to Chicago, working with Greenpeace, got married to Valerie Denny, uh, and they have done some great work. Good morning to you guys. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I'm not sure it happened in that order, per se, but uh, Good welcome. Enough. Welcome, you guys. Um, what in the world? You've, uh, how long did you plan this cross-country t- trip in a van with a tent? Let's just get right to it. We're talking about activists on tour. Um, I don't know. I don't know that we ever planned it. I okay. Think, I, I, I think I think we planned it um, day by day. I, I, the the way the way we got to it was um, I, I had been working for almost twenty years with an international network of organizations in, in about a hundred countries that I had helped to found back in. Um, I think um, 1998, and it's it's now it's it's now a pretty big um, network, and I spend a lot of time. It's in 100 countries. Um, it's it's about 500 organizations working on toxic chemical issues um, and, and and different kind of chemicals that poison people. And so for the last 20 years, I've been traveling all over the world, um, working with these organizations. Um, the last five years after Valerie um, shut her business up, a PR firm in Chicago, uh, she joined me and we worked for the last five years on campaigns in, in Asia and Africa, um, where they still put lead in paints and we were working on a campaign to eliminate lead from paints. But we had a good team in place by then to carry on the work. And we decided we wanted to retire. And I've tried a couple times before to retire (laughs) unsuccessfully. And we decided we really needed a disruptor. So we invested in this um, RV, a small uh, 21-foot van with all all the accoutrements of home inside of it. And we we announced, we told everybody um, at uh, we're, we're stopping everything on, in February, and on March 1st we hit the road, and we're just not available. So it was a disrupt. So we did it as a disruptor, and it worked very well. And we've been we we from that point on the next nine months we've been on the road with our van. Seven of the last nine months we spent two months back in Chicago for the summer, but other than that we've been traveling. Well, true to your organizing and communications backgrounds, you had a wonderful travel log on Facebook as you hit different spots but and i know how these things go because when my wife and i retired uh, semi-retired we also went on a big trip to the southwest not quite as long as yours we did camp in 104 degree temperatures and all that kind of stuff but you happen to focus on a lot of national parks and monuments so there was some planning because you got to figure out where those things are off in the corner of mostly the far west how did you figure out which national parks which monuments you wanted to see well, we had a general plan. Uh, first, uh, we some of it was opportunistic. We had a friend in New Orleans who let us park the van in his backyard, and we'd never been to New Orleans, so that oh. sort of dictated the first part of the journey. And then we knew we wanted to go out to California, where we have a lot of friends and family. 
uh, as Mike indicated, a lot of historical roots. And uh, somebody had said to me, oh, you should go to Big Bend National Park. Mm. And so we said, okay, let's go to Big Bend National Park. And, it's close uh, to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> Closer than Chicago. It was on the way to California yeah, anyway. Sort of. And, uh, you know, then we're in California and we're driving along and we see a sign that says Pinnacles National Park. And we look at each other and say, Pinnacles, never heard of that. <laughs> Maybe we better check that out. And a, a lot of it was literally so like that. you were hapless, basically. Uh, you you know, we ended up We ended up back up Even in... Even I know about the pinnacles. <laughs> we ended up in Washington State, and we said, hmm, gee, we've never been... Uh, uh, let's go up to uh, Vancouver Island, and uh, there's a na- there's a, pro- a national Canadian national park there. And then we're up in Canada, and we said, "Well, gee, let's go over to Jasper and Banff. That looks exciting." Sure. And then we you saw can get back to America from there. And then we <laughs> through, saw through glacier. Then we saw glacier. So uh, that was literally how we did it. As Jack said, it was a disruptor, and uh, we were just playing. Yeah. I mean, the biggest the the, the biggest organizing principle was weather that is we we left in march and we have a we have water systems in the van we don't want to be any place where it goes much below freezing very long at night so we had to take the southern route that's how we ended up in big bend and then and 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 then um and so basically weather determined our routes more than any idea of which national parks but it just happens that there's a good number of national parks out there i'm going to ask the big surprise and the most favorite but i want to start with what was the most disappointing place you stopped at that's a very hard question you know we were uh maybe there weren't any we were kind of like kids at christmas uh our eyes were wide open our tongues were hanging out um i'm the kind of person that you know can uh, drive down a dirt road and see a bunch of pretty flowers and think i'm in the best place in the world right on sister uh, i'm with you on that one so what was your favorite place or a couple of your favorite places one that, each. That's, I, I, I think it was the Canadian Rockies uh, I, I think it was the Canadian Rockies Jasper Banff so, yeah, up there yeah that I mean, Lake Louise I mean, yeah th- that stuff was just uh, unbelievable but but it's very hard to say what's your favorite place I well mean, say another one then. well I want to say I, the whole <laughs> Rockies experience I think when you come from the Midwest I, I'm born bred Midwest uh, you live in flat land uh, that's pretty well settled. Uh, you get out there um, and you see the mountains and it's so vast mm-hmm. uh, that it just kind of blows your mind. And I would say the other thing was the desert. I'd never really been in the desert. The desert is huge, uh, again, being clueless. More and uh, more of it. <laughs> there's tons of desert out there and it's fascinating. So I think those things were very exciting. One of one other thing that is, Valerie does most of the driving. It's 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 mutually agreeable. She loves to drive. I, I love to be driven. So I only drive when we're doing a long day and we need to spell each other off. And I think the most interesting um, driving experience was we we went through Beartooth Pass into uh, into Yellowstone. Uh, it came you know, and that is an unbelievable drive where, where do you is that coming down from north it's yeah. coming, it's it's coming it's coming from the east oh it's coming from the east it's okay. com, it's, it's it's coming it's coming you know there you can come straight down um this is coming from the northeast okay it's and, red cloud. And, and, you know coming it's you're coming oh. through you're coming through red cloud and and that's a phenomenal drive we drove into yellowstone that way but then we also there's another 
when, when we were camped in Red Cloud, uh, an old man in a campground said, he, he said, Yellowstone isn't so much. You should just go take to go through the Beartooth Path and then head south through, was it Dead? Dead Indian Pass. Dead, through, through, through the, the, the Dead Indian Saint jo, um, Chief Joseph Byway. So after we went Yellowstone, we went back and we did um, Chief Joseph Byway. And so that whole ride, that whole just driving from, 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 from Red Lodge toward Yellowstone through Beartooth Pass and then down through, um, I, I think it's Dead Indian Pass. I'm not sure what the name of it is, but it was the route that um, Chief Joseph um, evaded the U.S. Army um, and, and, and is still... Um, and when the Nez Pierce were being chased. Um, so that was, I think, one of the more memorial, memorial um, sort of driving experiences. Uh, Valerie Denny, Jack Weinberg, uh, telling us about their travelogue into national parks, both uh, across the border into Canada and here. I'd like to know what your sense is of the people working in the parks. There's been a lot of uh, uh, attack on the park system, uh, both by the president and his appointed guy, I think, Zenke. And uh, I'm just wondering, uh, we did hear about opposition from within. Did you, you this, some of this is during the Trump time. So did you get any discussion with any of the people in the parks about the, what's happening to the park system? We didn't really talk about that directly, but I do want to say that the park staff that we encountered were incredible. They're very professional. They're very knowledgeable. Dedicated. They're that. very dedicated. <laughs> Uh, the the tragedy, I think, is that um, so many of these people are unpaid. Uh, you know, when the administration uh, talks about privatizing, I really wonder what they would privatize. Uh, the gift shops are all private. The uh, <laughs> and where you come up to the desks, that's often manned by volunteers or friends of organizations. The people who do the talks at the campsites or the nature tours, these are part-timers, young people who are dying to get into the system, who love nature. Uh, but are um, only hired for a specific time and then have to go do another job for eight months of the year. Right. So I, um, I was really impressed by the people. They're so wonderful, but I was also... So we have this pool of wonderful people who care about the parks who will work for nothing. Um, you know, why aren't we investing more in that? So um, when you pull up to a campsite, generally a lot of... Uh, banter and back and forth happens between fellow travelers did you have any bumper stickers on your van <laughs> we were traveling incognito oh, no. <laughs> <Come> chicken <laughs> i think i would too if i was you know, uh, doing thing, that right now the thing i noticed from that was uh, people don't uh when you we talk to a lot of people that's not what people don't talk about politics. You know, it's not like you meet somebody. Especially now. Especially now. Uh, and it's not that people come up to you and start either talking negatively or positively about Trump or the current administration or the current uh, whatever situation. You know, people just, uh, that's not what they're there for. And you just don't get into those conversations. It could be our problem <laughs> right now. Well, here's a political conversation in a campground just this was in South Dakota, um, and it was a little. Um, it was a. It was right around. Uh, I think Keystone. it was 
What? Keystone was I, I, I think it was right around the 4th of July, was yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It was right around the 4th of July, and we happened to find ourselves a little local campground where everybody in this campground was, you know, lived within uh, 100 miles <laughs> or, less, or less radius, and they were just camping in this campground to celebrate the 4th of July. And an old man, he was, must have been in his 90s, and he told us he didn't have much time more to live. Um, we started talking to him, and um, and he was talking about how, you know, about his farm and about how the various, you know, how, how his grandson is now running this big computerized tractor and all, all this kind of stuff. And he asked us where we live. We said Chicago, and he sort of uh, got, got a little bit. And he says, you know, I, I don't think that I don't think of anything um, east of the Mississippi or west of the Rockies as part of the United States. <laughs> and, 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 and he wasn't trying to insult us. <laughs> so we said, we're from Chicago. Oh, and then he tried to get out of it. But, but what I realized from that conversation and a lot of others is in, in many parts of the country, people have a very small worldview of, yeah, what, of, of what the United States is. And so he, rat, he wrote, wrote off the whole East Coast, the whole West Coast, the whole, you know, as not part of the United States. And, I, and I, what, what made me think is how many people do I know on the left who think that they're the whole United States? Wow. <laughs> and, 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 and neither of these things is true. And so I think that one of the things that we did learn is there are a lot of different people and kinds of people all, this country is diverse not just by race, but it's diverse in so many different ways. And, and you know, and, and, and we, we did get a feel for that. I, I would add that Chicago was the one thing that got a reaction from people, and it was usually negative. Uh, and often it was about crime. Used to be Al Capone when <laughs> used to be Al Capone. Years, used to be switched. Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say, insofar as we got reactions, and we did frequently get reactions to saying we were from Chicago, it was. Uh, I would find my saying, you know, it's a tragedy. It's only happening in some neighborhoods. Those people are suffering terribly, uh, but it's not the whole city. Uh, but as the, a communicator, you must recognize the effectiveness Reagan had with the West Side Welfare Queen and a gold Cadillac that we never found. Right. To Trump's constant railing against Chicago. Right. The hometown of the previous president who he finds every opportunity to trash whenever he wants to. How do we engage the public that you saw in the heart of the Midwest and the West that blank out the rest of us um, in some of the stuff we really do need to take on who's ever sitting in the White House? How, how do we engage the populace at this point in our history and these critical issues that you've both spent your lives on? I think that's a really hard question. Um, as I think about it, um, I'm actually an Indiana resident now. and um, We I, need your vote over there. <laughs> for sure. Uh, I think it, it's not going to happen by people coming into communities from somewhere else. It has to start very locally. Like I said, people just don't talk about these things with strangers. Um, they talk about them with people they know. And I think people who are in communities where they're the minority but have different views have to start speaking up. I think that um, I think this is the number one question. I mean, we talk about Trump being the problem. He's a symptom 
of the problem. Uh, there's a deeper yeah. problem that's caused Trump, and we'll, we get rid of Trump, we'll have another problem down the road unless we deal with it, and that is uh, really, I've been thinking a lot about this. I mean, it was, it was 50 some years ago, the civil rights movement um, was the vehicle through which the country was, um, was divided. Um, that is, there was, there was um, r resentment against the success of African Americans in the civil rights movement. Um, it could have been, it could have been tamped down. It could have been, um, the country could have been healed then. But too many politicians, starting with Ronald Reagan and then a lot of very uh, intelligent um, manipulators, took that resentment and mon monetized it. Um, they, they monetized it because they couldn't get enough votes for their economic agenda on their own. So they used that resentment and other resentments, other social resentments later on to stir that up for their own economic purposes. So I think healing of America is the number one issue and reaching out to all those communities um, that, that currently are, are, have, have fallen for all these, um, these terrible ideas. Um, is the crit is critical. So, what's next for you guys? Well, we're we're we're, we're in Chicago through the winter. Um, hopefully, this is our last winter that we spend in Chicago. But we're here for the winter in the Chicago area, and then um, sometime in the spring, we're going to head east, the Maritimes, um, East Coast. You know, maybe next winter south. We don't know, but um, we're going to do this for a while yet. All right. We've got a window to see America. That's what we want to do. That's so wonderful. I'm kind of jealous. I hope you put some bumper stickers on your, your traveling <laughs> which, van. Which one should? Which one would you suggest? Wedge piece. That, that's, that's a that's, good one. That's pretty. That's and for that, one. I got one I could give you. Uh, I will send it to you. It, it says, "Do sports, not war." I like this one. Great Lakes, unsalted and shark-free. <laughs> <laughs> Valerie Denny, Jack Weinberg, thank you so much for sharing some of your travelogue with us. It is something I think many of us aspire to, and I'm really hoping we can um, do as much traveling, perhaps, in the next few years as you've been able yeah. to pull And next time you come on, we're going to talk about some, dig down for some real nitty-gritty stuff. We'd this enjoy was that. quite enjoyable. <laughs> We'd enjoy that, too.